Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. Um, welcome. It's exciting to see a number of new faces today. We have a number of guests, so welcome to all of you. And happy Father's Day again. I love being a dad. I have three children. Uh, they are quickly growing older. My oldest is 21. Uh, my second is 19, and my third is 15. And we were just cleaning out the garage yesterday, and it was like little swords and little toys, and boy, that happened in a blink. So um, those of you who have young children, enjoy them, engage them, spend lots of time with them. Most importantly, teach them about the Lord. And as many of you know, my dad watches online. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, your card is in the mail if it hasn't gotten to your house yet. <laughs> uh, we're in Matthew uh, chapter 8 today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And this is continuing our series, King of Kings, through the uh, entire book of Matthew, Lord willing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we can call you Father. We're your sons and daughters, your children, and you love us dearly. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we, we go through these details in Matthew, that you would magnify Jesus in the hearts and minds of everyone listening today, that Jesus would be greater and more glorious than maybe we were thinking when we woke up this morning. And I ask for your help to faithfully preach your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we are continuing through the book of Matthew. Uh, last week, Jason Rummel finished up the Sermon on the Mount. So we had been in the Sermon on the Mount for a number of weeks. The Sermon on the Mount has come to a close, and now Matthew is continuing um, instruction. And just by way of reminder, when Matthew was originally writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the primary audience in mind was Jewish Christians. And so that's often in his his mind and thought as he's addressing different things that happen. It, Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospels. So uh, we're going to be going back into the Old Testament a little bit today just to make some of the connections that the original recipients would have made. So we're going to start with Matthew 8, 1 through 17 and work our way through that this morning. But to set it up, I want to read the tail end of what happened at the end of the Sermon on the Mount because it really sets up for what is going to happen today. This is Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribes. So this is the Sermon on the Mount has just come to an end. Jesus has just instructed, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? This is life in the kingdom and he taught in such an authoritative way that it caught the attention of the listeners. Now what's going to happen in this next section of Matthew is Jesus' authority isn't going to be demonstrated by what he says so much as much as what he does. So we're going to see Jesus demonstrate his absolute authority by his actions. So we live in a day and age, probably unlike, not unlike many other um, times in, in history where 
There's lots of people that say lots of things. But the group gets a lot smaller with people that actually say things and then back those things up and have the character to do that. Now, Jesus not only had the character, but he had the power being fully God and fully man. If you were an original recipient of this letter or you were a Jewish religious leader, there are things in this account that we're going to look at that would have been very scandalous to your ears. It would have been shocking. Not scandalous in like Jesus is sinning scandalous, but in the, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he's saying this. I can't believe he's going towards that particular kind of person. It would have been shocking, which is why I entitled the, the message Scandalous Grace and Power. And we're going to look at three scenes, three scandalous scenes of Jesus interacting with people. And you're going to see uh, just his compassion, his love, his grace, and his power, which is incredible. Just by way of warning, the first one, Jesus is going to encounter a leper. And I want to give you some of the, the physical details of leprosy. They're kind of gross, I'll just tell you on the front end. Um, but it, it helps magnify Jesus when you really understand how desperate uh, people with leprosy truly were. Uh, verse 1 of Matthew 18, or Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, so the Sermon on the Mount's done, great crowds followed him. They wanted to hear more. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately... His leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift of Moses commanded for a proof to them. So scandalous scene number one, Jesus touched a leper. That's what we're calling it. Let's backtrack with some detail. The Old Testament has quite a bit to say about leprosy and how to relate to a leper. And these God-inspired details in Matthew are intended to magnify Jesus. So according to the Old Testament law, if you had leprosy, it was a skin disease, it was a very debilitating skin disease, if you were a leper, you were declared by the law to be unclean. So in the book of Leviticus, for example, it says, "...the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover up his lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So to have leprosy in many ways was worse than a death sentence because you were going to have great physical pain and you're going to have great social isolation at the same time. Common symptoms, according to scholars, is you would have scaly skin. That's where the, the Greek word for leprosy comes from. It's lepros. It just means scale. So over time, um, the, the skin would fold up and it would get rough to the touch. Uh, dirty sores and ulcers would, would form on the skin due to low blood circulation. Skin around the ears and the eyes would just keep bunching up. The eyebrows of the, the person with leprosy would fall off. The eyelashes would fall off. Now this is where it gets grosser. 
As it progresses, fingers and toes could fall off. Um, in addition to all those, those symptoms, the voice box was also affected. So uh, someone with leprosy would have a really raspy voice. So one of the commentators said, and then a strong odor accompanying them as well because of all the, the disease. One commentator said, to interact with a leper was to engage all five of your senses. It was so visceral. You could feel it and smell it and see it. Um, so I want you to imagine that that's you, that, that that is you, that you have that condition. So you are in intense pain. Humanly speaking, in that time, there's no hope. And you can't even be with those you love. You can't be with your family. You have to be outside of the camp, outside of the community. So in addition to the physical stuff, you would have been isolated. You would have been lonely. You would have been despairing. You would have been hopeless. But the leper we meet here, he had heard enough or or seen enough that, oh, there's actually a man who is more than a man who might be able to help me. So now with that little bit of information, I want you to think about this. And now before I read the next part, another part of the law is not only was the person with leprosy unclean, but if you touched that person, you too were unclean. Leviticus 5.3 Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, which one, which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt. But the big idea is you touch him, someone who's unclean with leprosy, and you too are unclean. Now the man we meet in this account, we don't know how long he has leprosy, how, how long he's been in this condition, but I think it's safe to guess it's been a little while. During that time, he would have been hopeless, and he also probably most likely would have had no physical touch. No hugs, no handshakes, no fist bumps. Mostly it would have been people probably going away from him as he's, he's declaring by the law, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, get away from me. And he would have been physically grotesque looking to some degree. Say all that to think about this. Verse 3. This is our Lord and Savior. This is the King of Kings. This is who we worship. This is who we want you to trust in. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, who no one could touch, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was clean, was cleansed. See, Jesus was unique, fully God, fully man. But he's also very compassionate and very merciful. So he moves towards the unclean and the broken and the messy. And unlike everyone else in the world, he didn't become unclean when he touched the man. The man himself became clean. And Jesus would not have had to touch him. We're going to see in the next account. He can do miracles without touching the guy. He did it to make a point. I think several points. When I come into the world, I came for the lost, the broken, the hurting. And I'm going to come towards you. I'm going to come with compassion. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to reach out to you. And when that happens, you will be transformed. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
And we don't want to miss that this man had faith. He had faith and he was submitted to Jesus. If it's your will, Lord, you can imagine his head down. He might not even made eye contact. If, if you really, I believe you can heal me, but it's up to you. So if you say, yeah, then, then I'm healed. He had faith, confidence in the Lord, and he willingly submitted to the Lord's will. And Jesus healed him. Now, Jesus also understood the Old Testament law, which is where verse 4 comes in. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift of Moses, commanded for proof to them. In other words, Jesus healed him, restored him. Now go and follow the rules, and you'll be officially restored. And what a reunion. Imagine if you were that man. Imagine if you were that man's mom or wife or son or daughter. He's home, and we can hug him. We can celebrate him. We can eat dinner with him tonight. This is our Lord and Savior. He came to seek and save the broken and hurting. Jesus touched a leper. It's a huge deal. Now you might be thinking, well, what's that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you and I. No matter who you are, no matter how messy and broken you feel, no matter how conflicted you are inside, no matter how many bad things you have done, how many sins you have committed, no matter how many bad things have been done to you, no matter how broken and outcasted you feel, no matter how unclean you feel, Jesus comes to you and He will restore you, cleanse you, forgive you, and free you. See, He's a mighty, mighty Savior. And these scandalous scenes are intended by inspiration to magnify the greatness of Jesus. Maybe you're afflicted with mental illness. Maybe you're afflicted with all kinds of internal conflict. Maybe there's a besetting sin that you just feel so stuck, embarrassed about. Jesus alone can help you. Jesus alone can can free you. Now, in certain things, there are, there are good counselors, there is medicine at times, but in the ultimate sense, for your worth and value, Jesus is the ultimate remedy. Keep running to Jesus. Do not believe the lies in your head. Do not believe the lies that get whispered into your mind. You can trust in Jesus. It is absolutely beautifully scandalous that Jesus touched the leper. It should give you great hope. Scene number two. Jesus heals a Gentile. Now these, these, these scandalous statements are not so scandalous to us because we didn't live back then and probably all of us, or at least most of us, are Gentiles, non-Jewish, ethnically Jewish people. So it doesn't feel that way. So I'm going to Explain some things that hopefully magnify this a little bit. Scene number two, Jesus heals a Gentile. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman soldier, a, a leader, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, I will come and heal him. Now, before we go too far into this scene, 
me give some background. I want, consider this. This is from commentator Craig S. Keener. Uh, just a description of Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers participated in pagan religious oaths to the divine emperor. Matthew here demonstrates that a call to mission work demands that disciples first abandon ethnic and cultural prejudice. His Jewish readers would have been tempted to hate Romans. It would have been just this repulsion naturally, especially Roman soldiers and perhaps their office even more. This would be especially true after A.D. 70, the the destruction of the, the temple. The centurion that we're meeting here, um, according to historians, was most likely on the, the payroll of Herod Antipas. And you, you actually know who he is if you've read the Bible. Herod is the one who was responsible for John the Baptist to get his head lopped off. These are, these are not nice guys. These are bad dudes that do bad things. And so a Jewish person would have been on guard, rightly so, against the Romans and against especially Roman soldiers. So here we have this, this Gentile, foul, probably pagan worshiper who hears about Jesus and miraculously has faith that Jesus can actually heal his servant. His request is not even for himself. But this repulsion, this, I think, disgust would be the right word. Whatever your your least favorite food is, think of that food right now, whether it's liver or Brussels sprouts or whatever it would be. Um, For some of you, it's seafood or octopus or squid or whatever that is. Whatever, if it's on the plate, your lips are closed. I'm not doing it. And if you do it, if you try, the gag reflex comes. That's what they would naturally have felt towards the Roman centurions. And Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing it because the whole point is that Jesus didn't just come for the Jewish people, but he came for the whole world. Now, before we we get into the further details of this scene, I think it's good to to just do an evaluation of ourselves right now. I think if we're honest, there there are groups of people, there there are people in your mind that maybe you never even say it out loud, but it, it produces that. That, that disgust, if you're honest with yourself. There are certain groups of people that maybe you see on the news, maybe you, 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 you interact with in your community, wherever you live, and there are just certain groups of people that you, you just have more this repulsion towards. If that is true of you, you need to turn from that. You need to confess that. Ask the Lord to help you. Whatever group you're thinking of, whatever group tempts you, And I think we all have different backgrounds and personalities, so different groups are going to tempt you. Whatever that group is, whatever that that comes to mind, the image that you last saw in the news or on a news feed, like, oh, those people disgust me. Those people Jesus died for. Those people Jesus moves toward. Those people Jesus intends to set free. So it's scandalous that he's going to help a Gentile centurion. Because it's intended to magnify who Jesus is and why he came to earth. And Jesus is going to show that very explicitly in verses 8 through 10. 
and, and, and onward. But the centurion replied, now listen to this. This is not an ethnic Jew. This is a, a pagan worshiper who has strong faith in Jesus suddenly. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So he's in the military. If I tell a guy to go, he goes. If I tell him to come back, he comes back. No questions asked. You could do the same thing, Jesus, he's saying. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. If that's true of today's military, how much more so true was it when probably death was awaiting you if you didn't obey a command? He's not playing when he tells him to come and go. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. In other words, not even among God's chosen people have I found such faith as this Gentile pagan probably foul-mouthed person who has suddenly put his faith in Jesus. Now Jesus is, is talking to a crowd when this is happening as well. And, and Matthew wants the original Jewish recipients to get this. So there's a, a strong Jewish connection about to happen. And to understand it, you have to understand from the Old Testament's perspective and then read and kind of circulated up to the first century, the, the Jewish people would have thought, rightly so, they were God cho- God's chosen people, but they would have wrongly missed that Gentile inclusion was part of God's whole plan from the get-go. That there was going to be a much bigger family than just ethnic Jews. And now Jesus is going to press in on this subject. Matthew 8, 11 through 13 I tell you, Many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham. Many non-Jews will come from the east and the west. People from all over the globe will come and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now he's going to say something. Verse 12, if you were Jewish, would hit you in the face like a big slap or a big bucket of ice cold water while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of those verses in your, like if you're doing a Bible reading program, you read it and it will most likely just fly right right by us. What he's saying is there will be ethnic Jewish people who reject Jesus as the Messiah and will not be in God's kingdom And there will be people from all over the globe, the east and the west, who have done all kinds of sins and all had all kinds of false gods and repented and turned to Jesus as King and Messiah and will be in heaven. All the while, there will be externally religious people that reject God's provision of Jesus as the Messiah that will experience eternal hell and punishment for their sins. This would have been shocking. And Matthew's including it through the inspiration of the Spirit because Jesus wants to to save everyone. He wants the Jewish people to come and believe that He is the Messiah. 
He demonstrated by his teaching. Now he's demonstrated by his action. And yet there are some still that are rejecting him. We know from John 3, there were some of the religious leaders that actually were very intrigued, like Nicodemus. He was honest. We know you're from God, Jesus. No one could do what you're doing. So that's the appeal. Now, the application for us is, I think one appropriate application is those of us who, or those of you who have been raised in a Christian home, particularly maybe you're younger right now, or you were raised in a Christian home, so you know all the right things to say. You, would, you do great on a Bible trivia quiz. Crush it. Crush it. You could beat this centurion with your eyes closed, with not looking at the Bible for five years. He knows nothing. But you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior and substitute. Don't rest in the trappings of Christianity. Rest in Jesus. And then for us who know Jesus, the call is that it has always been God's plan to gather a large family from every part of this globe. Listen to this. Genesis 12. This is the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. As you read the Old Testament, especially from from Genesis 12 onward, you see this unfolding of definitely God's activity among the Jewish people, but also God's activity among the Gentiles. If you want to go way back when we did Matthew 1 around Christmas time, the genealogy of Jesus has a number of Gentiles who had sin greatly, one in particular, who's, who are in Jesus' genealogy. It's a hint of Gentile inclusion. So what that means for us is we want to tell people about Jesus. Do not be the judge of who will accept Jesus and who will reject Jesus. You have no idea. God loves surprises. He loves to surprise people with salvation. Many of you know this, maybe not all of you. I came to IUP because my dad said you either had to get a job or go to college. And I, I knew there was a great party scene. That, that was my, my, my great aspirations. And I, I thought, I knew enough that I could probably, with academic probation, make it a year and a half. And then I would go get a job like my dad told me to do anyway. So that seemed like a good plan. And in the meantime, Jesus showed up in power at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., while I was watching The Grateful Dead, and my life began to be transformed. I didn't do that. I wasn't looking for that. Jesus is mighty and powerful and seeks and saves the lost. That's our king, and we want to share this good news. We support some missionaries. I interacted with one this week where they, they're a younger couple. They are devoting their entire lives for decades to reaching an unreached people group on the other side of the globe. And he was just giving me an update and sent me a video of some of the things. Why are they doing that? Because Jesus came 
to seek and save the lost, and they believe this vision in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, a countless number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All different color skins, all different languages, all different backgrounds. All centered and saved by Jesus. That's the good news. And that's in this account of Jesus healing the centurion's servant. So what happened in this scene? It's important to know the ending. Verse 13, And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. So he responded to his faith, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Instantly, servant was healed. Last scene, scandalous scene number three. Jesus heals, heals a multitude of messy people. And Jesus entered Peter's house, And he saw his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. Now, this might initially not seem as scandalous, and in some ways I don't think it was, but it would have been shocking nonetheless. Let's not get used to the the fact that there's a man walking around who can just touch people and heal them. You can't do that. I can't do that. Um, And so he starts with Peter's mother-in-law, and from um, reading this week, there, there was some belief that if you touched a person with a fever, you would get a fever, you would get sick also. So that, that may have been in the, the background there. But Jesus goes to her, has compassion on her, and heals her, and she immediately felt so well that she began to serve him. So I don't think, like you could read this like it's cruel, like, okay, you were sick, now can you get me something to eat? I don't think that was what was happening. I think she, she encountered healing from Jesus and her impulse was to serve him. That shouldn't be any different than us. When we encounter salvation from Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, when we experience his mercy and his grace over and over again, Lord, what can I do to serve you? How can I use my gifts, talents, resources to serve you? That should be our natural impulse. We should walk in those good works that the Apostle Paul tells us that are prepared in advance for every believer. But the word's out now. So he teaches with authority. He's healing people. And I want you to imagine that, I mean, I'm sure in this room we have a number of people that have serious illnesses or challenges. Now now take that out to your extended family. Then take that out to your workplace. So you got different people with really big situations. And you hear, and there's no hospital. So we got no hospitals, no doctors, no emergency care, uh, no telehealth. All that's gone. No pharmacies, no medicine. And you hear that a person is at 921 Hospital Road at Saving Grace Church 
who is healing everybody. You would start talking and news would travel. And you're going to start bringing people. And that's what happened here. But they weren't in a building. They're outside. It's messy. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. Demon-possessed people. And he cast out spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Now, I want you to think of Jesus' humanity. So he's been, he's got a long day, and, and, and people are pushing, probably yelling, they're not waiting in neat lines. My turn, Jesus. I'll wait. My turn, Jesus. Oh, can you? my son's dying. He needs help. Let me go to the front of the line. It would have been more like that than, than when you go to a concert and you're in nice lines and, and being caravan towards the, the, the ticket keeper. It's messy. Jesus came for messy. Jesus loves messy. Jesus is the expert of messy. And one by one, he heals, he delivers. I mean, just, we don't know how many demon-possessed people were there, but that would have been noisy. That would have been scary. If you had kids, you're like, kids, look that way. Don't even look that way. I don't know what's happening over there. Um, it would have not fit in any of our neat modern boxes. And yet Jesus, it's like, this is, this is why I came. I think if we interviewed Jesus afterward, um, on you know Instagram Live or did you know something on Snapchat or just a live feed, he would uh, smile on his face. Oh, this is a, this is this is it. This is why I came. This is why I'm here, and I'm hoping to do a lot more of this. Um, that's your Lord. You can go to Him with anything and everything. Now, in verse 17. Uh, Matthew says something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that I think needs to be thought through a little bit and explained a little bit. So let's, let's tackle that. Verse 16, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Quote, He took our illness and bore our diseases. So, if you know your Old Testament, that's Isaiah 53. It's the description of the suffering servant. And Matthew is saying Jesus is that. That's him. This is the one that was prophesied. He is the Messiah. He is the suffering servant. Now, if you, if you look up this verse or its counterpart uh, written by Peter, you're going to see a lot of opinions on this verse. And I'll tell you what I think about it, and, and, and we'll kind of wrestle through it quickly. Um, I don't think it means, I'll tell you what I don't think. I don't think it means that everybody is healed all the time instantly because of the atonement. I don't think that's what it means. And we're going to uh, look at why that is. But it is connecting healing and the atonement. So you can't ignore that. So with Jesus dying on the cross, um, there is healing. As, as uh, we have said many times, I think this comes into or falls in the category of the already not yet, where in Jesus' death on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins. We have spiritual renewal. We are born again. We are freed from the power of sin, yet sin remains and we battle it as we submit to the lordship of Jesus. But we're not perfect till Jesus returns or we die. I think healing's the same way. Jesus, when he was on earth, he's rolling back the effects of the fall. 
people were being healed. And yet, all the people that were healed in this account, they all died. We don't have that in the Bible. We know that. They all died, just like all of us, even though some of us may be healed by Jesus from a current affliction. We're going to die if Jesus doesn't return. So how do we wrestle through this? I think D.A. Carson, I'm going to read a quote by him. I think it's really helpful. And if you disagree with this or you want to talk more about this, please come talk to me about it. If you're newer to the church, our encouragement always is that you are like the Bereans in the book of Acts, that you study these things from the Word and wrestle through them and be persuaded from the Word, not from my mouth or the other pastor's mouth. So, D.A. Carson. This text and others clearly teach that there is healing in the atonement, but similarly, there is the promise of a resurrection body in the atonement, even if believers do not inherit it until the parousial, which is the return of Christ. I don't know why I didn't just say that. From the perspectives of the New Testament writers, the cross is the basis for all benefits that accrue to believers. But this does not mean that all such benefits can be secured at present time on demand anymore that we have the right and power to demand that our resurrection bodies happen now. So it's the already not yet tension. So let's make it really practical. If you are sick or your loved one is sick, should you pray that the Lord heals you? I think so. Absolutely. I would pray and pray and pray and submit to the sovereign will of the Lord. But pray in faith. The centurion had faith. The leper had faith. And put your ultimate hope in that one day, because Jesus the King came to earth, we're going to be with him forever in his kingdom where there are no more tears, there's no more sickness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. So wrapping these three scenes up, the biggest takeaway I want us to get is what a king we have. What a savior we have. When, when Cynthia encouraged pursuit of Jesus, this is the Jesus you're pursuing. He cares about you. He wants your burdens. He wants your fears. He wants your worries. Go to him. And he will minister to you. And he will make sure that you make it from this day to that final day. And if you don't know Jesus yet, call out to him today. There's nothing you, do, you have done that will disqualify you from his love and salvation. If you own it and turn to him, he will save you and forgive you. So let's all stand and pray. And the band's going to come up and sing a final song about the privilege we have of sharing this good news of Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are who your word says you are. And you are glorious. You are amazing. You are loving and powerful. Lord, would you give hope to every single person in this room or watching online today? And may we make much of you and may we be freed from the fear of man to speak of you Lord, this week in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, would you give us opportunities to tell others about you? We'll give you all the glory, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.